大家好，我是 Lydia， 欢迎来到国际聊天室。Hey everyone, I'm Lydia. You're listening to International Talk. 介绍今天的来宾之前，我想快速宣布一下，我最近开了一个新的 YouTube 频道 Lydia Muir Film， 之后会陆续发一些旅游和生活的 Vlog。Before I introduce my guest today, I'd like to announce that I have a new YouTube channel, Lydia Muir Film, where I'll be posting vlogs from my travels and my life. It would mean so much to me if you could check it out and subscribe. Now back to the show. Today's 来宾是来自英国伦敦的 Aaron. 他今天会跟我们分享伦敦的生活，在剑桥大学读书的经验，住香港的心得，在亚洲旅游的建议，还有远距工作的生活。My guest today is Aaron, who's from London, England. Today he'll be talking to us about life in London, studying at Cambridge University, living in Hong Kong, traveling around Asia, and remote working life. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you so much for being here today.、Uh, hi, thank you.、Uh, <laughs> happy to be here. Could you start by telling everyone where are you from?、Uh, I'm from England.、Um, I grew up in London, south of England.、Uh, but yeah, I grew up in London, and I've been living abroad for about three years now. And where is your family from? I'm mixed. My mum is from Malaysia, but with、uh, Chinese ancestry. Originally from、uh, Guangdong. My dad is English. And which countries have you lived in? You mentioned that you've been traveling around many countries. <laughs> so I was in London for I was working in London for a few years, and then I went to、uh, Hong Kong、uh, for one year, Malaysia for about three months, and then Taiwan now has been two years. Wow, so many countries. We'll talk about it a bit more later. And how many languages do you speak? About one point eight. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> the, the one would be English, which is my mother tongue.、Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps point seven uh, is uh, Chinese. That's very specific. Point seven. <laughs> like, <laughs> not like half or like point seven.、Uh, well, just to give you a good idea that like、uh, my Chinese is not perfect, but it's、uh, somewhere along that spectrum, kind of towards fluency, but not. Hundred percent. I'm not. I didn't learn so much as a kid, so a lot of it I kind of learned as an adult. So it means that it's somewhat more limited compared to someone who、uh, learned it when they were young, I guess. But、um. but you can have like conversations and. Yeah,、um, all the basic stuff is fine. Yeah, have conversations about daily life. <laughs> yeah, just don't ask me about politics or <laughs> advanced topics. I don't think I've ever、business. heard you speak Chinese. No, we no, speak English the whole time. I mean, we can speak Chinese if you want, but <laughs> it's okay. I was just I realizing、know. I did. I, yeah, I was thinking about it because I was thinking about it earlier. <laughs> if I whether I knew you spoke Chinese or not, and I realized I don't know if you spoke Chinese. So okay, zero point eight. I'll keep that in mind. Or zero point seven. Let's go for point seven. Okay, point seven. And what did you study at university?、Um, I did physics. Well, the course is called natural sciences, and I just did the bachelor's, so that's three years. Why、uh, did you want to study physics?、Um, because I wanted to be a scientist, and I was really into science and maths, and yeah, that was kind of my、uh, specialized area. So yeah, I was thinking perhaps I'd like to go into research, so I should、uh, go study physics. I mean, I'm interested in lots of fields of science, but、um, physics for me was the more exciting field, just because it I don't know、um, in my、uh, my own <laughs> warped vision of、uh, of the different sciences, physics kind of felt more fundamental to me. In the end,、uh, it wasn't for me, and I, I had to move on and do other things, which is now why,、uh, why I'm not a scientist right now, and、uh, I do programming. 
I feel like that's kind of the same, maybe not the same like area, but it's like the same. I feel like you use the same skill. It's also logical. It's also, you know, like. Yeah, I mean, uh, problem solving is the big thing that they have in common. If you do programming, I guess, uh, if you enjoy solving problems and you can also use uh, programming for a lot of things uh, in science uh, for research. Um, yeah, um, we did do a little bit of programming when I was at university, but not that much. So uh, most of my programming, I kind of learned while working. Oh, okay. Um, in the end, yeah. I feel like that's really common for people our age where so many people end up learning new skills in their like 20s or like mid 20s, even like late 20s, and then end up doing something completely different than they studied. <laughs> it's uh, really common. I think you're right, yeah. I guess uh, it's sometimes it's very hard to apply what you've learned at university to uh, the real world. Yeah. Um, I, I guess more applies to art students. For example, I've got friends who, who did history, but now they're, you know, accountants or uh, <laughs> lawyers so or all kinds of random things. Yeah. yeah. So was being a scientist your childhood dream or what triggered that? Do you remember? <laughs> uh, it was a childhood dream. Yeah. I was really into like reading <laughs> encyclopedias and uh, science books. And um, I guess my mum was very good at encouraging me to do that kind of thing. And she would take me to the library. We were just talking before about how I was in the <laughs> library today. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd spend hours in the library just like reading books and uh, all about science. Yeah, because uh, it's long, it's kind of fun to uh, learn facts. I sound cool. super nerdy right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's really cool though because like I actually because I teach preschool right, and I have a student um, now who's six years old and he loves science too and he's always telling me how he wants to be a scientist when I grow up and when he grows up and so I don't know I feel like that's that's cool that like you had that in mind and then you actually did it so I would say that as a kid I was uh, ambitious again it was my mum who kind of gave me that mindset of you can do anything yeah I don't know what it was like for you but like there's this thing about like tiger mums and Asian mums being very pushy Mm. Um, she did make us do a lot of our own study by by ourselves Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm talking about me and my sister here Mm. yeah and we would uh, spend like time working on things outside of the curriculum that you get at school. So we were always ahead of everybody, which was a really good advantage in the way because it made all the classes really easy. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm quite thankful to her in the end. But for... it sounds like she wasn't like the super strict tiger mom, which was like, you better do this or you better get... Was she? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think she was. Oh, okay. my, my parents split when I was very young. Basically, she was a single parent. And up until I was about 10 she wasn't working so she had a lot of time for us which I think was uh, very important and helped a lot because then she could kind of sit with us and supervise us and this kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, I feel like not everybody gets that opportunity yeah um, that's really good that she did that and I feel like yeah it worked it worked out really well for you so <laughs> yeah I mean like she uh, for example she never went to university and she didn't have a lot of opportunities growing up in Malaysia and she ended up coming to England to uh, be a nurse because at the time they, they were looking for nurses yeah she always talks about how her life was hard and uh she had lots, lots of siblings and um it I've was heard all... those stories too <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, yeah very tough them. and uh yeah so she well, would always remind us that uh, you know you guys have it pretty good right now so uh be grateful <laughs> and what do you do now in taiwan i work uh freelance taking up small projects it's still all programming so all stuff i've done while working for companies um but now there's uh, this flexibility where I'm kind of my own boss and I get to pick what I do. Which is so very cool. <laughs> the reason I'm doing this is kind of... So after moving from the UK, I was remote working for two years. Really liked it. Did a lot of travel. Had a lot of flexibility with my time 
Um, and um, I kind of also wanted to, to work for myself just because I ultimately find it more fulfilling mm. to kind of pick and choose what I do. So that was also one of my goals in doing what I'm doing right now. Yeah, it's <laughs> going okay, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's amazing that you wanted to do it and you set a goal and then you did it. And yeah, you're, you're succeeding at it. So, And we'll definitely talk about it a bit more um, later about remote working and that whole lifestyle. And, yeah. and finally, what do you do in your free time? What are your hobbies? I do a lot of outdoor activities. One cool thing about living in Taiwan is there are lots of mountains and beaches and really cool places to go uh, hiking and camping and river tracing. And um, I love all that stuff. So um, I try to make the most of it. And uh, yeah, if I've got time on the weekend, I'll go do a little trip uh, somewhere. I feel like I can't really do that stuff in the UK so it kind of feels very new to me and maybe that makes it even better yeah it's one thing I, I love about Taiwan is how green it is and yeah. um, it's very accessible as well and I feel like there's a never-ending list of trails like every time I'm like oh I've done like a few trails and then someone will be like oh that area is like not even you know obviously the whole of Taiwan is huge but like for example just like one area of Taipei there's like 20 trails and I'm like I thought I finished this area but no there's so many more yeah, honestly, you can visit the same place multiple times and each time walk a different route, yeah. um, which is really great. Yeah. Do you have a favorite trail or area? Or I mean, if you go up to Yangmingshan, there's a lot of trails there. I've mostly done hiking around areas close to Taipei because that's where I live. And I would say Yangmingshan has the most variety of areas. You've got like uh, some kind of more like grassland type stuff. Uh, and you've also got the mountains, peaks and little forests and stuff. So um and there's monkeys too, so... Oh, there's monkeys in Yamingsan? I didn't know that. Uh, yes, you have to go to Tianmu. It's a nice kind of little self-contained trail, so I recommend that. I um, want to see the monkeys. <laughs> okay, I'll have to ask you where it is and find okay. out. <laughs> if you've got time, we can go together. <laughs> Sounds good. First, I asked Aaron where he came from. He's an Englishman, he grew up in London. I asked him to share where his family came from. 他的妈妈是马来西亚人，但是祖先来自中国的广东，然后爸爸是英国人。接着我问他住过哪些国家，除了伦敦，他也住过香港、马来西亚，还有台湾两年。我问他会几种语言，他说他会一个和八分之一，一个是英文，他的母语，八分之一或七分之一是他的中文。我说这个比例很仔细。他说，因为他想表达的是他的中文能力接近流利，但没有到完全流利，因为他不是从小学的，但是他可以用中文聊天和沟通。接下来我问他大学是读什么，他读的科系是自然科学，但他主要是学物理。我问他为什么会选这个科系，他说因为他小时候是想当科学家，他喜欢科学、数学这种类型的科目。原本他考虑做研究。但后来他发现这个不是他想做的，所以后来就没有当科学家，而成为了软体工程师。虽然不是同一个科目，但我觉得其实没有很奇怪，毕竟都是理性的工作。Aaron 说对，而且都是属于解决问题的工作。不过这些技能都是他开始工作后才学的，毕竟大学他不是读这个。我说我觉得现在年轻人很多都到了二十几岁，发现自己有某一个兴趣，然后开始自学一些技能。回到科学，我问他当科学家是他小时候的梦想吗？他说对，对他小时候很喜欢读 encyclopedia， 就是百科全书。
还有其他资讯的书。然后妈妈小时候会鼓励她看书，然后会带她去图书馆。他就会在那边待一整天，看各种书，我觉得很酷，是因为小时候我们常常会有一些梦想，可是很多人长大后就会忘记。可是 Aaron 一直坚持，然后后来真的去读了这个科系。他说这个也要感谢妈妈，因为妈妈都会带他和姐姐学一些课堂以外的教材，让他们提前学到很多东西，所以学校的课业对他来说不会太难。妈妈也会常常提醒他们，因为在英国有很多的机会，所以一定要好好的珍惜。回到现在，我问他，他目前在台湾是做什么样的工作？他现在还是软体工程师，不过现在是自由工作者，接案子。他说这样比较有弹性，所以可以选择有兴趣的案子。Aaron 刚搬离英国的时候是远距工作，那时候他发现他很喜欢这种工作模式，可以边工作边旅游。最后我问他工作以外的时间喜欢做些什么，他很喜欢户外活动。这也是他喜欢台湾的原因之一，有很多山可以爬，然后还有海边。他特别喜欢爬山、露营、溯溪这类的活动，所以周末常常会跟朋友出去玩。住在英国比较没有机会做这些，所以他很珍惜在台湾有这么多户外活动。我说，我觉得台湾感觉真的有永远爬不完的山，还有走不完的步道。我问他有没有最喜欢去的地方。他说，因为住在台北，所以都会找离台北不会太远的地方。他特别喜欢阳明山，因为他觉得那边有很多不同步道，有草原的，也有爬山的，也有像森林的，还有一些猴子。我竟然不知道阳明山上有猴子，我说我一定要找时间去看看。现在大家比较熟悉 Aaron 的背景，让我们来听听他的一些经验和分享。Let's continue with the second part of the interview. Now that everyone knows a little bit more about you, let's dive into some of your background and some other stories. So, first of all, you mentioned that you grew up in London. How would you describe London? Because I feel like it's one of those cities that you know everyone talks about, like London, Paris, New York. But for many people, they haven't actually been there.、Um, how would you describe living there? Living in London, I, th- I guess the answer really depends on.、Uh, Who you are and where you're from, because、uh, it's such a diverse place. For me, I grew up in the the suburbs of London. It's called Greater London, the area towards the.、Uh, it's a bit like how like Taipei has has a、uh, Taipei City and stuff.、Mm. So、uh, and New Taipei. I grew up in the equivalent of like New Taipei,、mm. <laughs> the London version. And、um, for me, Central London was a, a very different type of area compared to where I was growing up. Um, even as a kid going into central London, it, I did feel myself like I was a tourist. Yeah, people really talk about how London has so much、uh, to offer in terms of cultural events, in terms of、uh, historical buildings,、uh, just having lots of events. And I agree with all of that. Yeah, there's lots to do, and there's always、uh, stuff to do. <laughs> so、um, I would go out with friends a lot and go to pubs, and、uh, there's like、uh, music events and stuff which I'm into.、Um, uh, would, would you say that London is dangerous? <laughs>、uh, it can be. Yes. Okay. So I, I grew up in an area of London called Croydon. In the past, had a really bad reputation for having、um, crime, gangs, and、uh, knife crime was the big thing.、Um, Growing up, which、um, you'd hear about incidents, people getting murdered, and so、um, myself personally, I've never had、um, a really bad incident. Like I've never been mugged, as they say in UK, or robbed. I guess、uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have had friends who have been. People have been pickpocketed. I mean, this London's not the only place. I, I feel like every big city in Europe、mm. kind of has this issue. Yeah,、uh, I feel like it's a common because I, I get asked this question a lot from people who want to go visit, like you know, London or Paris or whatever, and they're like, "Is it really dangerous?" Especially Europe. I don't know. Europe has a really 
bad reputation for pickpockets, especially for Asians. Um, and I always tell people that I think London can be dangerous, but not more than any other big city. But mm. I only lived there for a year, so I, mean, I don't know about yeah. the, um, whether it was always like that. Also, compared to Taiwan, everything is dangerous because Taiwan is just so safe in general. <laughs> so right, like, whenever yeah. Taiwanese people are traveling, I'm always like, yeah, it can be a little dangerous. Be careful. Be aware. Because, yeah, I feel like in Taiwan, I've become so used to not being aware of danger. Like, I leave my bag places, you know? <laughs> I'm like, I don't even think about these kind of things. But, yeah, I can imagine. I feel like going to Europe and London, especially... Um, people have to be a bit more aware of like people around them, things happening, and especially pickpockets, like you said. Mm. So yeah, it's uh, definitely one of the great things of uh, of living in Taiwan is that you don't really have to worry about it so much. Yeah. Like I will walk around Taipei in the middle of the night without a second thought. Like yeah. uh, if I'm in London, then um, I kind of am more cautious mm. because if you're just walking down the street in the middle of the night in London and you see someone lurking around, you're constantly assessing possible threats yeah. uh, and being like, oh, is this guy doing something shady? Uh, you yeah. worry about people following you. Um, Risk assessment. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of annoying to have to worry about that kind of thing. I'd much rather live in a society where you can just go about and, and not be concerned about the these kind of things um, feel safe going yeah. about your whatever business. Yeah, so. makes sense. And so after spending most of your time in London, then you went to university in Cambridge, right? Yes, I went to Cambridge, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I feel like, so again, Cambridge... So we have places. to talk about we it, We have to talk about yeah. it, yes. Um, I feel like Cambridge, again, one of those places where everyone talks about and everyone's heard about it, but it's like, what is it really like to study there? When you went there, did you feel like, wow, I'm going to Cambridge? Or was it not like that? No, it was very much, wow, I'm going okay. to Cambridge. Okay, good. Um, I guess, um, again, I, I mentioned it before about how my mom had never been to university. And my dad also hadn't. So I guess my sister was the first to go to university. She went to Oxford Brooks and then I was the second. But um, yeah, my, my parents were proud of me and I was really happy. And it was uh, the, the ultimate, my, obviously, my, my first choice. Yeah, it was like really exciting. I mean, when you're preparing uh, to go there, I mean, um, you have to take an interview and I had to take a test. And so you've already been there, so you kind of have seen what it's like. And it's, it's such a beautiful city. You get this special feeling when you walk around, and that doesn't really go away. So, yeah, there's always this kind of wow moment as, as soon as you kind of leave uh, your residence or something and just walk around the streets. Everyone says so. that it looks a lot like Harry Potter or like Hogwarts or like that kind of vibe. Uh, I can see where they're coming from. I mean, we have a lot of these... Uh, banquet type halls mm -hmm. um which is very similar to those harry potter scenes and uh yeah we have uh some great like gothic architecture and and uh these famous old buildings um there's a lot and it's very kind of concentrated so if you just walk down the streets it does kind of feel like you've been transported to <laughs> a, another era kind of thing that's so cool i can't imagine like yeah it must be like to walk there every day there's another thing about Cambridge I've always not understood is you guys have um, co colleges, right? You have colleges? Yes. It's not the same meaning, right, to be part of a college? What does that mean, to be part of a college? Um, yeah, I guess because uh, you're referring to how in the U.S. a college is a university. Yeah, I think, and I feel like in Europe we don't have that, like mainland Europe, so to say. Um, we don't have that either, so I've never I, I've yeah. never understood that system. Yeah, I'm not sure other places in Europe um, whether they have the same system or not, but in, in UK, as far as I know, there's only three. It's like Cambridge, Oxford, and Durham. When you apply to these
these places you uh, get assigned to a college. You spend most of your time with people from your college because you all live together. But that、um, college is not defined by your study, right? It's just no, not at all. Although、um, there are some colleges which are famous for,、uh, for example, like、um, Trinity College is one of the most famous ones, and、uh, Isaac Newton went there. So I feel like、um, the proportion of students who apply to Trinity College are probably more into science. And for example, I went to a college called Clare, which、uh, has a strong musical reputation. Proportionally, more music students will go there. Is it a bit like not to bring back to Harry Potter again? But is it a bit like having you know how they have the houses? Is it similar kind of thing where it's like personality a little bit, or like、um, once you are part of a, a certain college, you have like competitions between colleges? Is there like rivalries? Yes,、um, yeah. There's plenty of rivalries,、uh, especially around sport. And、uh, biggest sport in Cambridge is rowing. So the boat race is super famous.、Uh, well, there's the one between Oxford and Cambridge, which is held in London on the River Thames. Wow. But、um, also within the, the university, they have regular competitions. Yeah, it's the largest society usually within all the. Uh, different societies you get of a college. As for the Hogwarts house thing,、uh, <laughs> I feel that that was more like my high school in a way. Really?、Uh, yeah, because my my secondary school—that's what we call it in the UK. So yeah, secondary school.、Um, I had houses. We、really? Had houses, yeah. I didn't know that was actually a thing in the UK.、Uh, <laughs> the posh schools have it, so、oh. uh, yeah, I did go. So to is it really、possible. like? How do you choose your house? Like, how do you get assigned? Um, that's random. Oh, it's, it's random. Completely、okay. random, yeah. Oh. Yeah, there's no, there's no sorting. <laughs> no magic. <how> <laughs> Unfortunately, what kind of personality you are? Yeah, but I, in my old school, we had eight different houses. I think all of them were pretty much equivalent, except for one which had、um, because you had a school tie, and the co- you had these stripes on the tie, and、mm-hmm. the color would represent your house. And、uh, there was one which had、uh, pink stripes.、So、I think most people was like any house except for the pink one. <laughs>、um, Yeah, <laughs> that's fair.、Okay. It was an all boys school as well. I should mention. <laughs> oh, it's an all boys school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting! Wow, eight houses. What were the houses called? What were they based on?、Was、They're all、like? named after former headmasters. Okay, just like like Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. See, guys, Hogwarts is real. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. I didn't know that they actually had houses in England. I I only lived there when I was aged. Four till seven, so、mm-hmm. it was primary school. So like, yeah, nothing. I, the only thing I remember is having to wear uniform because I didn't have to do that in Europe. But yeah, everything else I don't really remember and and didn't get to experience that. So okay,、yeah. I would say mo- most people don't have houses. Oh, okay. It's it's only if you go to like a private school or like a grammar school. My grammar schools are like、uh, they're free, but they're also quite posh. Um, oh, schools、okay. within England, I guess tradition is why it's still there.、Um, Interesting. So going back to Cambridge,、um, do you have any tips for anyone who might want to study there? I don't know. I don't think I have audiences that young, but just in case, <laughs>、uh, I guess、um, you need to be very passionate about what you want to study there. Yeah, the hardest part is getting in. I know it's a very competitive process. So、um, I mean, for me, when I was preparing to apply for Cambridge, I wasn't really doing much. Extra in order to prepare for it, but I remember just being very engrossed in lots of、uh, things outside of what you learn at school. So、um, I used to listen to a lot of podcasts about science and read books and these kind of things. And I I do think those helped me a lot when I was interviewing、um, because I could talk about them and、um, I could show them that like I was really passionate about the subject. And、uh, I think that helped.、Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good tip because I feel like a lot of universities. 
Well, no, actually, that's not true. I, from my experience, because I did business, like we didn't really have interviews, but lots of universities that do have interviews, I feel like that's why they want to do the interviews, to get to know you and to see how much you really want this. So I feel like that is a really good tip for showing how much you want something, is proving that outside of, you know, what you learn at school, that you're really trying to um, surround yourself in this topic or this subject. I think that's a good tip. Um, after university, <laughs> I lived in, in London for a few years. Okay. So uh, I had my first job in London uh, working as a programmer. And uh, I was with a, a company in working in central London for a few years. And then you moved to Hong Kong. Yes. <laughs> Could you tell us about your experience in Hong Kong? Um, yeah, so this was uh, 2019. Before um, COVID. Uh, before COVID, yeah. <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we have to like... Pre-COVID. Uh, yeah, pre-COVID <laughs> or post-COVID. <laughs> um, I arrived there uh, March uh, 2019 and um, had a working holiday visa. Because I had arranged uh, a remote working job, it meant that um, the way I lived my life was, uh, yeah, uh, lots of travel. I actually lived in hostels a lot over that the course of that year. In um, Hong Kong? In Hong Kong. Different hostels? Yes. Oh. That was um, very much intentional because uh, I wanted to live in different areas of Hong Kong. I, I kind of had this mindset that um, I wasn't sure if I would stay there after a year, uh, which turned out to be the case. Um, so while I'm there, I should try and experience uh, what Hong Kong has to offer. And there's also different districts of Hong Kong and uh, places. There's Hong Kong Island and then there's uh, the bit which is connected to the mainland, that, that area there. Uh, called the New Territories. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of moved about a lot, met a lot of new people. Yeah, and at the same time, I would go to other countries uh, for short trips and then uh, come back to Hong Kong. So I kind of felt like Hong Kong was it's like a base for me and I would be kind of in and out a bit. And it's also the year of the protests. So, yeah, that was going on towards the end of my time there. Um, what was that like? Did you feel like you were ever in danger? I wouldn't say so. I did get tear gassed once. It was quite chaotic. I mean, there were, people would know about the protests in advance and stuff, but uh, sometimes uh, you'd bump into them accidentally. I tried not to get too involved because I, I, I did meet other people, uh, even foreigners, who were like very passionate about trying to support the cause. I generally didn't get involved too much because it was quite dangerous, I think, if you were taking part. Yeah, the police were cracking down quite hard on mm -hmm. people who were protesting for sure. Yeah, makes um, sense. Yeah, I saw people getting chased by police, uh, literally just like sprinting for their lives kind of thing. Pretty crazy. And um, yeah, the police as well. Um, some of them were, you know, they're halfway between the police and the army in a way, like covered in like body armor, yeah. um, all kinds of weapons, uh, taser guns, all kinds of things. And that was quite scary. Yeah, a, a period of uh, turmoil for Hong Kong for sure. Um, and I feel like also a very emotional period. I feel like during that time as well. Like, I guess it must have been very different to be in Hong Kong than compared to other times because, yeah, I feel like people were a lot more emotional and, you know, it's just... you. Can, I feel like it's one of those things where you can feel it in the city, you know, like, probably not a good example, but I remember when I was in London, the day after Brexit was announced, I could feel it in the city. Like, everyone was really down about it. And, you know, it's like one of those things where you can just... You just feel it. Like, there's a vibe where everyone is just going through the same emotion. And I feel like it does make the experience of living in a certain place very different. Mm. Um, well, I, I would say uh, from my friends there who are from Hong Kong, um, I'd say a lot of them were quite active uh, with uh, taking part in the protests. I don't know if they were down. It was more angry, mm. I think, was the main emotion. 
aggression. And yeah. yeah, there was just very Passion. a very confrontational atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, people really cared because <laughs> yeah. they they kind of felt like of the the future of Hong Kong was on the line. Yeah, of course. Um, which I completely uh, sympathize with. Yeah, yeah, and ultimately, I guess they did not get their way, which is kind of sad from my yeah. perspective, at least. But I guess we don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a topic for a different podcast. <laughs> so then, you said you mentioned that you traveled around a lot. Um, what was some of your favorite destinations? At the beginning of my time in Hong Kong, I went to China a lot because I had an old visa for China, which uh, was expiring like a few months into my time in Hong Kong. So I was like, okay, I need to make the most of this because uh, like getting a visa is kind of really uh, annoying. There's this high-speed rail that connects Hong Kong with the south of China. I use that for uh, lots of different trips. I went to Yunnan province. Oh, cool. which was probably the highlight for me, I guess. Um, there are also a bunch of other places I went, which was super beautiful. Guilin as well. I also went to lots of other countries in Southeast Asia, went to Thailand, learned how to ride ride a scooter in Thailand. That was fun. <laughs> uh, went to South Korea, Cambodia, <gasps> Vietnam. Cambodia, it's on my bucket list too. Yeah, I recommend uh, it. I think it's good. Um, my favorite types of places to visit, I guess, I'm quite wowed by um, nature. I loved going to Indonesia. There are a lot of volcanoes there and um, they're definitely worth a visit. They're very unique. They, yeah, really put you in your place in a way. <laughs> it's surrounded by the vastness of like Mother Earth and stuff. Um, yeah, really special places. They're kind of hard to get to, but it's worth it, I think. Did you go by yourself or would you find like a guide or locals or? There was one or two trips I went with uh, friends of mine from Hong Kong, but the rest of them I would go by myself. The routine would be uh, stay at a hostel and then uh, work it out from there. I'm not that organized. I don't usually plan that much. And at the time I uh, did not plan those trips very much, but it really didn't matter because uh, you'd go there and then you'd work it out. And yeah, you, you always get the best tips from locals anyway. So, mm. but yeah, hostels are definitely the way to go if you're if you're traveling by yourself because uh, you need that kind of social interaction. I think as well as um, finding fr making friends and finding travel buddies. Yeah, it's all part of the fun. I've had so many friends who um, traveled alone and ended up coming back with friends because <laughs> they were like, "Oh yeah, I met this person in this hostel, and I don't know somewhere, and I met this person at this hostel somewhere." And then I, I even had friends who like they would like also travel or backpack or whatever, and then they would end up. Up at the same location as someone they met at a different hostel and then they end up going traveling together and it's like I don't know it just seems like a very social vibe like a great way to make friends and like yeah yeah I guess it's because you guys have the same mindset usually mm -hmm. so um yeah, you want to go see lots of places and they do too. So, um, yeah, you just end up having these uh, serendipitous moments and stuff. Uh, what you just described uh, happened to me as well, actually in Yunnan province where I met some uh, this German couple in the north part of uh, Yunnan and then I did my own thing and then towards the end of the trip I was in the south part and then I, I just met them again <laughs> with pretty so randomly. Cool. And uh, they ended up coming to Hong Kong as well. And we, oh, wow. we would hang out in Hong Kong for That's a few amazing. days. Yeah. It just reminds you that the world is actually really, or it can be really small sometimes. Yeah, it does. I guess because um, some of those places I went to were quite remote. Well, like if you're a foreigner, you might stay in the same places as, as other foreigners and stuff and creates these situations. Yeah. So you mentioned that, you know, you were able to do all this traveling because of remote working. What do you think are the advantages and disadvantages to remote working? 
I would say uh, the advantages are fairly obvious because uh, you don't have to go to an office. Um, so yeah, you get to work from home and you get all the benefits of that. Yeah, remote working allows you to control your time more, I guess. Um, usually it means that your workday is more flexible. Obviously, if you have meetings, these kind of things, uh, like uh, when I was remote working, there were kind of a, an agreed set of core hours where I would be online and available. Mm -hmm. But um, I could kind of pick and choose a little bit uh, w what hours I worked and kind of make that fit around my life, um, which was great yeah did you ever miss like a, the feeling of having a place to go or like a sense of because i feel like last year i mean i only experienced working from home for like a month last year but i remember feeling like oh i miss going somewhere and having like my fixed colleagues or people that i would see every day and like a fixed routine did you ever feel that you missed that while remote working personally no i guess i kind of value my time uh, a lot and sense of freedom and i feel like um going to an office kind of constrains you a lot. Yeah, I mean, there is a social aspect because when I worked in an office, I mean, my co-workers ended up becoming one of my best friends, among my best friends even. Yeah, you do miss those opportunities to have those connections with people. And maybe some aspects of your work get harder because um, it's definitely easier to communicate in person. But um, I guess the programming lends itself well to remote working just mm -hmm. because um, a lot of the time you're kind of solving problems by yourself. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And I guess you made up for the social aspect while traveling. So <laughs> yeah, you, know, you, yeah. Had, you made friends that way. So it wasn't like you were completely by yourself at home all the time. So. Yeah. In a way, it's kind of a different balance in my life, but um, workable for sure. Now that you have your own company, how do you balance your time and like your free time and work? And is it hard to find that balance or like to keep yourself on like a set uh, number of hours? Or how do you plan mm. like that? I feel like the lines get even more blurred <laughs> because um, I control all my time. So it's all up to me. But obviously, if you have projects to do, then there are deadlines. Mm -hmm. So you have to to meet those deadlines. So the work needs to get done. You can't just, you know, slack off forever. But it does kind of focus you as well. It's kind of like, oh, if I, um, if I get the stuff done uh, efficiently, then I end up giving myself more free time in the end. In a way, it's um, a fun challenge. I, I do find myself working harder than I used to. Really? Uh, yeah, I feel like if you work for a company, um, having that, that routine and uh, that structure there, you don't necessarily have to work overtime because you're not getting paid for it. Right. But uh, if you do your own thing, you're kind of motivated by the project goals and stuff. No one's telling you to not work. Mm. Yeah, that, that can kind of spill over. Does it help having a business partner? Yes. It's hard to just be by yourself the whole time. Sometimes it's just nice to bounce ideas off someone else and um, yeah, and have a, a little bit of course correction sometimes. Maybe the way you're approaching a problem is wrong and uh, you can get that feedback or... It's definitely useful, yeah. I feel like it's also one of those skills that a lot of people are, are trying to get now, coding and programming, and it's a common skill to be learning now. I think it's a great career. The fact that, yeah, you have those opportunities for remote working, just the nature of the job itself. I really love the, the problem-solving side, and uh, you can build some really cool stuff, which I think is is really fun and exciting. And Yeah, I, I can't really see myself doing anything else, really. I mean, uh, I have other interests, like I'm really into music and stuff, but then I think, oh, how can I kind of blend those together and like build things, uh, you know, use my programming skills and whatever music skills I have and build something which uh, has both of those, you know. Have you done um, that? 
So recently we've been doing some small projects and um, it will be cool to have music in those. So um, I've been kind of messing around a bit with some music production. Uh, we built a game, for example. I mean, it would be cool to have uh, some game music and not rely on uh, whatever royalty-free <laughs> things right. we find online and uh, put stuff in the game, which is like... Uh, like Original. Yeah, original music, which uh, like really adds value. So, What, what uh, game did you create? Wait, is it like, are you allowed to talk about it? Or is yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Okay. It's coming out in the uh, end of this month, so very soon. Exciting. Wait, yeah. tell us about it. What is it about? So uh, the game is called Feartress. Um, it is an idle game and has a fantasy theme. It's out on Steam, so it's a it's a PC game, um, but you can also play on Mac and Linux. Okay. It originally started as a project by my friend, my my work partner, as a way for him to learn coding. Oh um, wow! And then it became like an actual product, an actual game. Yes, uh, we. Um, it, I mean, it started out as a small thing, and then um, I think that genre of game, uh, idle games, often. Um, they lack uh, a lot of polish in uh, UI, and that's something that I think we uh, have a very strong background in. So we could like do something a bit different, where it's uh, within that genre, we can make something that really stands out. Yeah, it took about a year to make, uh, but just like within our using our spare time, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't games. So I don't know gaming terms. What is an idle game? <laughs> yeah. So an idle game is um, a game where um, you don't necessarily have to do an action for extended periods of time. For example, you can kind of leave the game running in the background and do something else and then come back to it in order to do the next action. For example, you have a character and then that character has an activity to do or a task and then you start the task and then you leave it and then you come back and the task is finished like that? Kind of like that, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in simple terms. It's, um, I would... Put it uh, within the genre of like casual type games where um, you don't have to be a serious player. I would say our game, you can kind of play it in a... I mean, it's a single player game. There is a timer. So you can kind of uh, work to try and get the best time. But if you're not so worried about that and you just want to, you know, take your time and not be looking at it the whole time and just let it kind of develop, then you can do that and... It's okay. So uh, that appeals to certain types of gamers, I guess. Cool. I would say it's quite fun to play. It's quite addictive. Um, <laughs> I will put a link. You'll have to give me the link, and then I can yep. put it in the description. Because sure. this podcast will come out in July, I think it is. Okay, the game planner. will be out by then. Or even August. So, yeah, by then, yeah, it'll definitely be out. So, And yeah. what is it called again? Feartress? Feartress, Like yeah. fear is in, like, Scary. fear, and then yeah. fortress, like that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's easy to remember. Is it a scary game? No, not really. Okay. Uh, the, the origin of the name comes from um, my partner. Is he's Danish? Fearless. Um, there's a Danish word called like I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> it. It sounds like Fearless, but okay. it, it basically it means sixty four. Oh, okay. And and that is the 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 size of the grid that we first used for like uh, the first level of the game. Oh, it had sixty four cool. tiles. Yeah, that was the name that we came up with. Cool, I like it. It's a secret, like a what's it called, like an Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, I will definitely put a link, and then everyone can check it out. So we're wrapping up to the end of the interview. So I'm going to ask you the same two questions that I ask all my interviewees. The first one is, what would be your biggest tip for someone who is learning a new language? So I feel like as internationals, we learn. Do you have a tip for learning a new language? Probably not the route that most people do because um, I was kind of nerdy about it. I was like, okay, I just want to learn Chinese as efficiently as possible. My technique was uh, lots of flashcards. I'm sure you've heard of like Anki. Uh, have you or oh I'm sorry <laughs> uh, Anki so it's like um, 
They're, they're just a, it's like a flashcard system. But um, the key thing is um, having this concept of uh, space repetition. Imagine like um, the strength with which you know a word kind of decays over time. There's a threshold. If you leave a word for too long, then you'll forget it. Uh-huh. So the idea is like if you are constantly revising vocabulary which you are about to forget, that will kind of um, jog your memory back and it will kind of increase the strength of that memory Well, you want to avoid basically revising words which you already know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to just focus on those ones which you are, you are about to forget. And uh, that way you can kind of acquire vocabulary very efficiently because um, you're kind of not wasting your time. It's called the Anki system? Or? No, no. Anki is oh. just, um, I guess, platform for doing this. Uh, oh, okay. It, it just implements the one of these space repetition algorithms. Oh, um, wow, okay. But I, I feel like um, a lot of language learning apps probably uh, use similar systems. Mm. But yeah, I, I just spent a lot of time. Um, I mean, it's not that interesting to go through flashcards every day. <laughs> it's pretty boring, but like it's something that I did and I got a lot of usefulness out of it. So mm. that's my recommended approach. Mm. I mean, it's not also not the be all and end all because ultimately using the language is what gets you to that next level. But I think it's a key tip for someone who's starting out and when you just need the vocabulary, you just have to, you know, repeat, repeat, repeat until you have enough vocabulary that you can start to like, you know, form sentences and mm. use it. So, yeah. Yeah. Sense. Like I used to go to like language exchange events in London for, for people learning Chinese. Mm-hmm. There were people who'd come, but they, their vocabulary was so limited that, like, they basically can't say anything. Mm. And then it's really not that useful until you have those words that yeah. you can kind of... Uh, basis. Yeah, start using, yeah. I can see the scientist in you there. <laughs> Finding the most efficient approach to learning. Yeah, well, it, it, it works. for you. I think it that's works. the key with any any learning is that you have to find the method that works for you. So mm. people have different personalities and different learning styles. And yeah, so mm. it makes sense. I mean, ultimately, you want to enjoy the process of learning it as well. So if you do a mix of things, it's also very good. Mm. And yeah, I encourage also like uh, listening to podcasts or trying to read some articles and doing different types of activities, like test your la- language uh, ability in different ways is probably the best way yeah and finally if you had one message to share with the audience what would it be that's actually a very difficult question <laughs> um i will say uh follow your dreams and um have an awesome day and keep doing what you're doing and follow uh yeah your passion and um make the best of it yeah i think it's very good advice it's a great message follow okay. your passion follow your dreams and i think it's something that actually a lot of people don't actually do and that's okay <laughs> yeah, it's okay. But I feel like I wish more people had the courage to follow their dreams and like, you know, find something they're really passionate about and then actually go for it. Because I feel like when you do, it can be so liberating. And even if you don't end up doing that dream forever or you don't end up, you know, following that passion forever, if you, I feel like if you've done it, then you can always say to yourself, well, I tried and I, you know, I gave it a go. So, mm. yeah. I think more people, hopefully, will do it. <laughs> okay, yeah, that sounds awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming today and sharing all those stories with us. It was really interesting. Thank you. Uh, very happy to talk to you. 首先，因为 Aaron 从小在伦敦长大，我觉得大家对这种都市都会有很多的想象。我请他形容那边的实际生活长什么样子。他说，伦敦是一个很多样的地方。他住在比较郊外的区，有点像新北市跟台北市的差别。当他去到伦敦市区的时候，那边感觉非常不一样。他说，伦敦的确有很多活动，很多历史，很多博物馆、展览、节日、音乐季等等。
我问他，他觉得伦敦的治安怎么样？他住的区比较危险一点，虽然他自己没有经历过，但是身边的朋友有遇过小偷等等。不过他觉得跟其他大都市差不多。我说，而且跟台湾比起来，哪里都感觉比较危险。他说，对，他在台湾如果晚上一个人在外面走走，完全不会担心。但是在伦敦，如果晚上他在外面，一定会注意环境。如果看到其他人，他可能会稍微注意他们的行为，提高警觉性。高中毕业后 ，Aaron 很厉害，上了剑桥大学。他虽然很谦虚，但是我觉得这是很值得讨论的事情。毕竟剑桥也是一个大家会常提到的地方，所以我请他分享去那边的感觉是什么。他说：“当然，那时候很开心，也很兴奋，因为要考试跟面试，所以开学前他已经有去过，所以他对这个大学已经有一些印象。但他说真的很美，走在校园里永远会觉得很特别。”我说：“听说跟哈利波特的校园很像。”他说：“因为他们有那种大厅，还有类似的建筑风格，所以的确有一点像。”另外，我知道剑桥大学有分不同学院，就是不同的 college。我请他解释这个系统，因为跟美国的不太一样。他说英国只有三间大学目前有运用这个 college system， 入学的时候会被分到某一个学院，你大部分的时间都是跟同一个学院的人互动，一起住啊，一起吃饭等等。但是这个学院不是以科系来分。我说是不是有点像哈利波特的四个学院有会比赛啊这种？他说比赛是有，而且剑桥最有名的运动就是划船，所以会有划船比赛。但他说他觉得高中比较像哈利波特，因为他那时候他们学校有分 houses， 就是学院，就跟哈利波特那样一样。我很惊讶，因为我不知道原来英国的学校真的有这种分法。他说不是每个学校都有，比较好的私立学校才有，或者比较传统的学校。我问他学生怎么分配，他说是随机的，没有魔法帽子。我问他那学院的名字来源是什么，他说都是以前的校长。我就说那我更相信 Hogwarts 是真的。回到剑桥的话题，我问他有没有什么建议可以给想考剑桥大学的学生。他说，其实真的就是要很热爱你想读的科系。他虽然没有做很多额外的事情，可是他有做的都是跟科学有关。他会去了解学校课程以外的科学，看书、听音频等等。所以面试的时候，他可以去聊这些，展现他真的很爱这个主题。大学毕业后，他在伦敦工作一段时间，然后就搬去香港。我请他分享那段时间的经验，因为那时候是远距工作，所以他大部分的时间都是在边旅游。他那一年几乎都是住青年旅馆 （hostel）， 因为他想体验香港的不同区，也可以认识更多人。同时，他也会安排一些旅程到其他国家去玩。那年刚好也是抗疫的时候，他说他当时尽量避免抗疫的地方，毕竟还是蛮危险的。那时候的警察有很多的武器，看起来就很凶猛。那时真的蛮混乱的。我问他当时感觉得到大家的情绪吗？他说他的香港朋友们都属于比较愤怒，而不是忧郁。他们都想为了他们的国家奋斗，所以那个气氛比较像是对抗性的气氛。拉回旅游的主题 ，Aaron 去过很多亚洲的国家。我问他有没有最喜欢的地方。前期因为签证的关系，他去了中国的很多地方。他印象最深刻的就是云南。除了中国以外，他也去了泰国、南韩、柬埔寨。他说他个人最喜欢探险大自然，所以他很喜欢印尼。在那边，他去看了很多火山。他说是一个很特别的经验，他很推荐。另外，他说其实有很多的旅程他都自己去，然后也不会有太多计划。去到青年旅馆交新朋友或是聊聊天就会有行程
，也可以跟当地人聊天，听听他们的建议。他说，如果你是一个人旅游，他很推荐去住青年旅馆，因为很容易交新朋友。我说，我有很多的朋友，他们自己去旅游，回来后反而多了很多新朋友。他说，没错，就是这样。艾伦可以这样旅游，主要是因为远距工作。我问他除了可以旅游以外，远距工作有哪些优缺点？他说优点就是大家想象的，可以在家工作，有弹性，可以自己安排工作时间。我问他会不会想念有一个固定可以去的地方，或是有同事啊等等。他说他觉得还好，因为他比较注重自由，但的确会有少了一些人际关系，有时候也会有一些比较难处理状况，毕竟面对面处理事情还是比较容易。但是工程师的工作，他觉得比较适合远距，因为本身就是比较多一个人做的事情。另外，社交的部分，他旅游的时候就会弥补。后来 ，Aaron 和他的朋友一起创了一个公司，接不同案子。他成为自己的老板之后，他都怎么安排他的时间呢？他说他自己要负责自己的进度，但是大部分的案子会有一定要完成的期限，所以这个也会帮助他。另外一个动力是，他会告诉自己，如果可以更有效率的完成，他就有更多自己的时间去做自己想做的事情。因为他也有一个伙伴，这个也是一个好处，他们可以一起讨论案子怎么处理，或是得到一些回馈。我说，现在感觉有很多人在学写程式等等类型的工作。Aaron 说他很推荐，因为有很多原句的机会，也可以创造一些新的东西。他也很喜欢运用他的写软体的技能去融合其他的兴趣，像是音乐制作。也是他最近在挑战的事情。另外，他和他的伙伴一起制造了一个游戏。我请他分享资讯。他说，游戏名字是 Fearless。Fear 就是恐惧 ，Fortress 就是一个像城堡的东西。Fearless 是电脑游戏，可以在 Steam 搜寻。它属于 Idle Game， 就是放置类游戏。这个游戏已经上架，所以大家如果有兴趣，可以去搜寻。链接我也会放在简介里，欢迎大家去玩玩看。到了结尾，我问 Aaron 对于想学一个新的语言的人有没有哪些建议。他说他学语言的方法是多人不喜欢的方式，就是透过字卡。而他用的是一个专门的学习软体叫 Anki。大家如果喜欢用字卡，可以搜寻看看。他说这是一个学习最有效率背单字的方法，但他说还是要搭配运用语言。我说这个建议很适合初学者，因为一开始你还是要先会基本的单字。不过大家还是要找最适合自己的学习方法。最后我问他有没有想和听众们说的话。Aaron 鼓励大家追求自己的梦想和自己有热情的事情。我觉得这是一个很棒的提醒，因为其实有很多人不敢追求自己的梦，所以在这里再次提醒大家：如果你有一个一直很想做的事情，鼓励你勇敢的去追求。就算最后你发现自己不喜欢，或是没有达到一开始的目的，至少你试过了。而且，也许你会发现你比自己想象的更有能力。很感谢 Aaron 今天和我们分享这么多故事，聊聊伦敦的生活，在剑桥大学读书的经验，住香港的心得，还有在亚洲旅游的建议，最后还有远距工作的生活。再次提醒大家去搜寻 Aaron 制作的游戏《Fearless》，链接在简介里面。如果你喜欢今天的访谈，记得帮我们打五颗星，也可以在 IG 帮我们分享，记得 tag 我让我看见。IG 只要搜寻 International Talk Podcast 就可以看到。有你们的回馈和分享，让我更有动力继续制作访谈。Thank you again to Aaron for taking time out of his schedule to talk to us today about life in London, studying at Cambridge University, living in Hong Kong, traveling around Asia, and remote working life. And don't forget to check out his new game, Fearless. You can find it on Steam or check out the link in the episode description.
If you also enjoyed this interview and the podcast in general, it would mean so much to me if you could give us a five-star rating and follow me on social media, international talk underscore podcast. Your comments and feedback help to keep me motivated, so please don't be shy. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful week. I'll see you next time. 我们下次见喽。